Welcome to the Scripture Study Project, a fresh and faithful study of the scriptures that will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you're learning to others. I'm Krista. I'm Isla. I'm Finn. I'm Rowan. And I'm Dad. <laughs> and Eloise is sleeping. Our baby is sleeping. You guys, we have some special guests with us today, and we're very excited to have them here. Um, we were up this week with um, speaking with some of our friends, new friends up in Ogden, and one of the questions that North we Ogden. North Ogden. One of the questions that we got, and it was so fun, by the way. But one of the questions that we got was how we teach with young kids. Um, one of our new friends, Jessica, who actually has an awesome Instagram called Locust Wild Honey, um, she said, I didn't even know you had kids. Um, and I think there's a reason for that. Um, I don't, we definitely haven't tried to hide that we have kids, but one of our focuses with this podcast is really the focus of your own personal study, your own conversion, um, so that you can go and passionately teach teach naturally to your kids. <laughs> and they're excited to say something with you guys tonight. So we brought them on so that they could share some of the ways that we have been teaching our young kids. So maybe we're going to have each of them share their favorite way that we have been studying scriptures together and tell their ages when they tell their names. Sounds good. Okay, so first up we've got Isla. Isla, do you want to say your name and tell them how old you are? My name is Isla, and I'm four years old. And Isla, what is what has been one of your favorite ways that we have studied scriptures as a family? I love doing the learning at the well, and so I walk, knocked on people's doors, and I, I told them about Jesus. Yeah, so that was the part of the story when the woman at the well meets Jesus, and then she goes to tell everyone, and and you got to go around and tell all of us, huh? Knocked on our doors. Mm-hmm. Isla really loves to do the acting out parts, huh, Isla? Do you like when you get yeah. to play a part? Yeah. Awesome. I can just do whatever I want to say, but it's mine. That's right. Awesome. Okay, next okay. up, Finn. Go ahead, bud. So my name is Finn, and I am eight years old, and... One thing I liked a lot about the scriptures is last year when we were reading the war chapters, I we got we printed out a sheet of paper that said like how many weapons you got if you wanted sellers, how many army men you could have a certain amount. It was really fun because at the end, he, Hugh Goth, whatever his name is, Hey Goth. <laughs> was selling away and that was my least favorite part because I had no sellers. <laughs> so we kinda acted out the war we kinda uh, went through the war chapters and each night. And we each if you had this then you would get a point, but if you didn't have enough warriors to defeat these guys, then you would get so it was really fun and at the end I think it was my dad who won. I think I won. I think mom won, yep. Yeah, mom won. <laughs> no, I was just kidding. I don't remember. But one thing, Finn really loves stories. He loves being immersed in the story, and especially the Book of Mormon is a great place to that. And all and of the scriptures. Yeah, yeah. So many great stories, huh, Finn? Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. Okay, Rowan. You're up, bud. Hi. My name is Rowan. I'm six years old. And I would like to tell you about my favorite way to start our scriptures. So I like to study the scriptures. So when I read a little scriptures, then he asks 
questions to my family. Rowan is a very inquisitive person, and he loves to ask questions about everything. He always has, and so his he likes to, to do that when he leads our family study, huh, bud? And he hit on something that we haven't mentioned, was that one of the things that we've been doing is each Sunday night as we, we kind of do a review and a preview. So we'll review what we've learned, and then we preview very briefly what's happening the following week. And one of the things we do is split up the week. Each person kind of takes a night to lead. And so what Rowan's talking about is that he likes when he is the one in charge. So we'll read just a couple verses and then he'll pick out what parts he he thinks are interesting and he wants to ask us about. And you guys, this is so simple. Uh, some of these, like the Book of Mormon War chapters one was very involved. That, that's not every night. But one of the things that Jess said when we were talking to her that I loved is she said, right now I'm just trying to help my kids have fun with the scriptures. And I think that's, that's such a simple idea and exactly what young kids need. They just need simple, easy <laughs> ideas that help them to have fun studying the scriptures. And so we let our kids pick what it is that they want to do. They have a lot of fun doing it. It takes almost zero planning and zero effort. And sometimes it lasts for like two or three minutes. And then they're running around like they are right now in our bedroom, dancing and playing. And, but it's fun. And we like doing it together. Yeah, we wanted to just um, kind of emphasize that President Nelson, he when he was in Arizona recently speaking, he mentioned that we're to make homes centers of learning and spirituality, and it will look different for everyone. And just to echo that of like, there really isn't a right way to do this. Um, I just, I actually love hearing all the different ways that people are doing something to get it in there. But this curriculum is so rich, so good, so much you can do with it. And I find that, you know, some nights we do have a little bit of time where I'm like, oh, I want to, we want to do a little more of an activity. Or one of the other things our kids love to do is to have us draw pictures. So while we read, they'll, they'll have us, I want you to draw a picture of John the Baptist. Or, you know, and some nights we do things a little more involved, but most often the goodness and the simplicity is just found in Reading, reading, and, talking about reading it. and talking about it together. Um, and really just being the beginning of their conversion and their finding joy and fun in the scriptures. So we're going to pause our study tip and uh, go feed our kids dinner. And then we'll come back later and record the rest of the episode. <laughs> okay, we're back multiple hours later. But the kids After are asleep. After a few sick kids later. Yeah, and yeah. It's been a... A fun night. But hopefully that was helpful, and, and hopefully it uh, if, if, if you're struggling or looking for ideas, hopefully those are a couple that might be helpful to you. If you have ideas, again, we love it when people put ideas on our Instagram pages. It's great for us, and it's great for the people that are reading and, um, and well, hear you know, what you're learning. I also think there's a lot of ideas out there, um, but I think the more that we trickle away from just reading the scriptures and just making it simple, um, the harder it's going to be for us. Yeah. So not saying that there's not a place for those type of things, but I believe strongly in, oh, and that was the other thing I was going to mention was that in the, of course you can use the primary manual for a lot of great teaching ideas, but also in the Come Follow Me for Individuals and Families within the first few pages, they have actually a lot of the things that we mentioned that we're doing, acting things out. They have a whole page just dedicated to Here's how to teach younger kids and one for older children too. So don't forget that there's resources that are right there with you. And I kind of recommend having a hard copy of this manual. It's kind of been nice. It's nice to have the one on your phone too, but I think um, maybe it'll just get you in a little bit, yep. a little bit deeper. So 
Okay. Let's get going on this study. Well, last week was uh, part one of the two-part episode. This is the Savior's Sermon on the Mount. And if you remember last week, uh, we focused on the teachings of the Savior that invite his people, challenge his, his disciples to leave the crowd behind, leave behind what everyone says you should do, and instead elevate your discipleship to what the Savior is saying you should do, to stop focusing so much on, on what the world says. Uh, the rules or laws of the of the world and and focusing on what the Savior is saying. This week in this episode continues that same theme, and uh, we've titled this episode uh, deliberately the first word that appears. Well, I guess the first two words. We're just going to pick one, but that appears in chapter six. This is Matthew chapter six, verse one. Um, the two words in English that really comes from just one Greek word is take heed in Matthew 6 verse 1. It also shows up in Matthew 7 verse 15, though there it's translated as um, be careful or beware. Yeah, yeah. Other translations have be careful or, or be on your guard. Be on your guard. I think, yeah, some of the other scripture translations that we're looking so at. So if last week was how to elevate your discipleship, what we wanted to focus on this week was some of the things the Savior's identifying that we should be aware of, that we should be careful about, that could potentially damage our discipleship or damage other people's discipleship. And the first one that I wanted to start out with is a word that the Savior uses repeatedly in these two chapters, six and seven. Um, and it's the word, well, I'll read it for you. Okay, this is Matthew 6, verse 2. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they might have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Verse 5. When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. And then in verse 16, Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. The word hypocrite is a Greek word that comes from uh, Greek plays. It is an actor who puts on a mask and plays a certain part, plays a certain role, pretends to be something with the mask, that he or she behind the mask really isn't. The Savior's deliberately using that word, or Matthew's using it when he's writing this up, to convey this idea that uh, the gospel in its truest essence is something that is personal and often private. Um, in the world that we live in today, I think this is an even bigger beware or take heed or be cautious because our world is so visible. There are so many different ways to get your life out there in the world that if you're not careful, hypocrisy, meaning putting on a mask and showing something that isn't reality, uh, is a really easy trap to slip into. Uh, one of our favorite books to read around Christmas time that we got from President Monson, who reads it every Christmas, is the story of the mansion. And as I read these words that they have their reward, the whole idea of the story of the mansion is here's this John Waitman that's doing all of these charitable things, but he does it so that he can receive praise and what he calls a return on his charitable investments. So the hospital that he donates to has to be named after him because it's good publicity. Well, when he gets to heaven in this dream that he has, he gets up there and all of these other people that are there with him as they're taking the tour of heaven, they're awarded these mansions, these huge uh, houses 
And then when they get to his house, it's just this empty lot with a couple of pieces of wood in it. And he turns to the angel angrily and says, how, how do I have this small house when everyone else, this teacher and this doctor and these people back here have all these, hand, these mansions? And the angel says, this is all you sent us to work with. And John Waitman says that my whole life was spent in charity and doing great things. How is this all you have? And the angel responds to him, almost identical to what the Savior says, you did those things and you got your reward on earth. People paid attention to you. They noticed you. All that we have here is what's not counted down there. It's the acts that go unnoticed. It's the acts of charity that no one gives recognition for. That's the only thing that matters here. And I think it's a beautiful illustration of what the Savior's teaching that one of the things that can really damage our discipleship is when we are so focused on the way that that discipleship looks to others or looks on our Instagram feed or whatever it is that we forget the very private, personal, um, intimate nature of discipleship. You know, I think since we've started this podcast, I've been waiting for this topic to come up because it was a couple years ago that I kind of just became obsessed with this. And it was actually general conference talks from Elder Christofferson, his talk, The Living Bread, which came down from heaven, and then um, The Beauty of Holiness by Sister McConkie. All of these talks about the importance of being holy. And Elder Christofferson, he, he quotes the hymn, Take Time to Be Holy by William Longstaff. And this is the the line from the song that I've actually since just, it's one of those beloved, memorized um, phrases that I say to myself often. Take time to be holy. The world rushes on. Spend much time in secret with Jesus alone. By looking to Jesus like him thou, shalt thou be, thy friends and thy conduct his likeness shall see. Um, I think the, the line that really sticks out to me is that those first two, take time to be holy the world rushes on, like Zach mentioned, you know, there's so much that we can be showing and outward about, but let's spend some time in secret, in secret with Jesus alone, seeking after true holiness, what it means to really connect to a higher being without fussing and worrying about what other people are looking at or what other people are doing. You know, as with so many things in the gospel, there is balance to this. Because in just the last chapter, Jesus taught that we are a light oh, to the world yes. and that we should let that light shine. Um, and I, I've been fascinated uh, quite recently with how often principles come in pairs and that there's a balance between the two pairs. And so it is absolutely true that we are to hold the light of the Savior up so that the world can see. President Hinckley once famously said, do good and talk about it so that people know that there's good in the world and that we have a, a God that we love and that does great things. However, there's the companion balancing principle that there needs to be time taken in our closets, as the Savior said, in our private moments to pray and to fast, to do our alms, and to do those secretly without seeking recognition of the world. Um, how that looks in your own life is probably a discussion between you and your God, um, but that those two principles are powerful and can guide true discipleship, I think is important. And that actually flows perfectly into some of these next principles that we wanted to talk about in here, um, how to pray and how to fast. And we're given these directions in here. And I have to say that I think this, this fasting one is probably one of my favorites. Um, 
I love, well, I love the language that we learn about too. Speaking of actors Mm -hmm. that you're talking about with these hypocrites, verse 16, moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. How many, I mean, I've had fasting times where I disfigure my face because I'm like, oh, (laughs) or I don't know. It's funny for me to picture what they were doing and disfiguring their face. And in another translation that I have, they it says, for they make their faces unattractive. <laughs> I just think... That's me all the time. I mean, isn't that... We can get very dramatic about <laughs> fasting and because it's hard. And But um, I think it's one of those things that we really have to kind of just... I mean, of course, just like anything else, just like exercise, just like anything else hard we do or the habits we're trying to change, if we can kind of switch to that positive side of one thing I keep thinking is, what am I, let's forget about what I'm not doing Mm. and let's focus on what I am going to do. Less on what I don't have and more on what I have. Exactly. Yeah. That's a much better way to say it. Thinking of... I'm not going to eat. And for me, part of that was like, sweet, I don't have to make myself food. Sometimes it's nice to take a break even from, <laughs> and you know, I think that's honestly part of it. Like, let's give thanks for less work today, for a different kind of work. I'm going to, instead of thinking that I'm not going to eat today, I'm going to focus on, I'm going to feast in the Lord. I'm going to be in his holiness today and think of that in, in abundance today. I'm going to eat something different today. I think there's a great principle, and you were saying this before, that this doesn't apply just to fasting. It applies to anything. Last week, we talked about how the higher law is often in contrast to the lower laws in that with the lower laws, you focus on what you're not doing, right? You shouldn't murder. You shouldn't commit adultery. You shouldn't take the name of the Lord in vain. The higher law focuses much more on things you should do. You should love your enemies like your neighbors. You should pray for those that despitefully use you. And I think there's a, there's a connection between that and what you're talking about, that a lower law version of fasting is to focus on what I'm not doing. A higher law version of fasting or prayer or giving alms is to focus on what I am doing. And as we do that, I think we we live the true purpose of the law. It, it helps us to, I think, give and fast and pray the way that the Savior did. Um, his sacrifices weren't about what he didn't do or what he was missing out on. It was a focus on what he was providing and giving to others through those sacrifices. In fact, Matthew records this verse right after these verses on fasting and prayer. Verse 19 Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That's one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, because I think it's a reciprocal verse. Uh, Where your treasure is, the things that you treasure the most, that's where your heart is. But I love it almost in reverse better, that where your heart is, where you're spending your time thinking and feeling, that's where your eventual treasure will be. And so if if in fasting or in prayer or like John Waitman in serving, if my heart is on what I'm not getting or on what the world is looking at, 
then that's the treasure that I'm earning. But if my heart is on serving God or serving my neighbor, if there's that sincerity and that simplicity to my worship and to my discipleship, then my treasure will be given by God, if that makes sense. Yeah, and aren't these just, in thinking of like our last episode and coming up to discipleship in the higher law, this this really becomes... I mean, we were just looking through these chapters just like, ah, what parts do we talk about? This is all so rich and so good and really so deep, especially as we think of these things in this way of where is my heart? What treasures am I focusing on? What things am I am I building and how can I do this better? How can I live the, the higher law? And it becomes this really deep heart work. You yeah. know, where is your heart in so many of these things? So, I mean, go through these chapters with that in mind of, I think that's what the word take heed at the beginning means. I think it's an indication that as the Savior teaches this, you are to read and pause almost at every phrase and check your own self against Mm -hmm. the master's teachings and say, am I fasting in front of men? Am I disfiguring my face? Am I praying in this way or giving alms in this way? Or am I there to where I'm doing it the way the Savior is asking? Which none of us perfectly are. And taking that time to say, why? Mm -hmm. Why am I doing this? What is my purpose behind it? I know that's helped me, especially as I think of some of these things of, wait, am I just fasting just to be hungry? Or Mm -hmm. am I fasting because I'm looking for a deeper connection to my God? The part that I've been thinking a lot about, in fact, we've been talking a lot about the last couple of days, uh, is this verse in Matthew 6, 24. It's a very famous one. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And as I've read that verse over the years, uh, it creates it creates a lot of problems for people um, because it, it almost seems like it creates a false dichotomy. Either you serve God only and ignore everything in the world, um, or else you serve the world in some way, which ends up meaning you're going to hate God. And for a lot of people, I know the wrestle is, well, can't I, can I do something in the world without hating God? Isn't there a way to, to do both? Um, I want to bring, bring up. Well, I think you, especially we've in the, over the past, I think yesterday, um, I ran across a post from one of my favorite Instagram accounts, work and wonder Rio Grange. And she makes those, um, awesome general conference work workbooks. And her question that she posed, which is a very, heated topic amongst my peers, especially, um, of that balance between motherhood and, um, also pursuing passions or careers or, um, even hobbies or interests, you know, how do you balance? And I think this, this can maybe become that of like, well, if I'm, how do I serve too much? I'm, oh no, I'm not doing the more righteous thing, quote unquote, righteous of being a mother because that's all I'm supposed to do. If I'm not that staying balance. home all the time, then I must be right. hating God because I'm serving, I'm looking at the world. I mean, obviously this can become a very, a very tricky subject, but. The comments um, that were on her post were just awesome. So many people giving so much thought and time to this. And it's obviously, it's and, obvious that they've prayed a lot about it. And, yeah. that, and that answers to specifics come to specific people based on their relationship with God and their family dynamics. So anything that we're going to say isn't an answer to those specific questions, but it does, I think, help uh, to consider this. We get into trouble in scripture all the time when we 
when we pick a single verse or a single line out of scripture and separate it from the rest of the sermon. And we do this. totally this scripture. We do this all the time. The Savior doesn't stop here. In fact, the very next word in verse 25 is therefore, meaning what he's saying from here on is connected to that principle in verse 24. So I'm just going to read it because I think that what he's saying here makes a whole lot more sense when you read the entirety of this portion of his sermon. Uh, I'm going to read the New International Version because I like it just a little bit better. He says this, So after no man can serve two masters, you cannot serve both God and mammon or God in the world. He says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And why do you worry about clothes? This is verse 28. See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry and don't say what should we eat or what should we drink or what should we wear, for the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And then my favorite verse, the verse that I think makes verse 24 make a whole lot more sense. Verse 33, but seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. King James, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. I don't think what the Savior is saying here is either you spend all of your time praying and reading scriptures and and, and ignoring the world, or you pursue a career and that means you hate God. I think he's talking about priorities. I think what he's saying is, look at the flowers, look at the birds. They don't stress about their livelihood, and God takes care of them. And you mean so much more to God than grass and birds and flowers. And so can't you trust that God can help take care of you, that he can help provide for you and support you if you will rearrange your priorities to put him first? Um, This is gospel of my dad, but I've always loved it. It's been a really kind of a guiding star in my life. Uh, dad would always say, God, family, other self. And that was the way that he prioritized his life. God first, family second, others, and self. And it's not to say that you can't focus on others. And I know there's plenty of people that would say, you need to take care of yourself. Very true. However, there is a priority to these things. And if others comes ahead of God, then we're out of order. Um, If others comes in front of family, then we're out of order. But if we serve God... He can help us be better in our families, which can enable us to better serve and take care of others, which ultimately is the best way to take care of ourselves. Well, and I think the word that you used right there was prioritize. Mm -hmm. I think when we put God first and goes back to that taking time to be holy and spending time with God, he helps us to navigate what things are a priority and where it goes first. And if we want to really get into this discussion of, you know, what, what our priorities are, I think this applies to to men as well as women. What's coming first? You know, what is, if your ambitions, I should say, whatever it is, is coming before God or your family, then let's prioritize a little different. I don't think that's just singling out women. I think it's putting in check. All soapbox on that. This message can be, I think should be much louder to, to us men. 
where we need to evaluate the way that we are pursuing careers and money and success outside of the home and really analyze, am I prioritizing those pursuits over family pursuits? Um, I read a, I heard a quote today that I love from C.S. Lewis, and it's this, the homemaker is the ultimate career. All other careers exist for one purpose only, and that is to support the ultimate career. Now, what this quote isn't saying is that being a mother is the ultimate career or being a father is the ultimate career. I think I love the idea that it's being a homemaker should be the most important career for both men and women. Not to say that they can't have other careers. In fact, they should that helps support the strengthening and the building of the home. And men, if we can reason with each other, we have to we have to be honest with ourselves. Is our career outside of the home enabling us to fulfill our responsibility in the most important career, which is to be a homemaker? As you can tell, we have a lot of passions that come up from these chapters, and we hope that you find the same in your own study and the things that will stick out to you, I think will be um, add upon those things that we talked about last last part part one of the Sermon on the Mount of finding your, of climbing up in your discipleship, finding out who God wants you to be, and then taking heed of his, his advice and his wisdom and all of the wonderful things that, that he teaches us in this sermon. Thanks for studying with us this week. We hope this is the beginning to a great study for you, and we'll see you next week.